0: Merry Christmas, Parkview. Glad to have you here. You had to be here early to get that one. Um, Hey, we're glad you're here. if you're visiting, you're probably like, wow, what in the world did I walk into? Um, We believe that this is a birthday party. Do you remember that? This is a birthday party, right? So you're supposed to have fun at a birthday party. This is what we celebrate here. And we think that, that church ought to be fun and, and celebratory and not like celebration in the 50s, like a celebration in the 21st century, like that digital thing we just did. I mean, that's, that's where we live now. And, and so we want to try to apply this to where we're at right now. Um, I want to welcome all of you. I want to welcome those of you who are uh, in the underground right now or in the conference room or watching us in the ladies' bathroom Or wherever you are, because we really ran out of seats at this service. We ran out of seats at all the services. We're really glad that you're here. Thank you for sitting in another place. And, And and if you're a submarine Christian and you showed up here, that's what somebody called themselves two days ago. I thought that was pretty good. Just come up for the holidays, you know. If that's you, hey. Welcome. You are welcome here. This is what we we want you to be here. Okay, Um, and we want you to come back, and we want to help you however we can. Okay, we're going to start by passing the offering. And I know I want to set your mind at ease right now. If you're visiting, Um, we don't want you to put anything in there unless you really feel like you want to. And I'll explain something in a minute what you might want to do. There's two kind of two things that are going to happen when the baskets come by. First of all. Um, we at Parkview believe that giving is being like God and is an act of worship. So, so we do that and that's going to go in the offering basket. And I just want to, I want to give you a heads up if you're a Parkview person, uh, this is your last offering basket you're going to see in 2010. We're having no services tomorrow, no services on Sunday, and the next weekend is January 1st. So if you want your tax deduction in 2010, which Uncle Sam will give you, it needs to come in before December 31st. So that might affect what you're doing right now, uh, or you can still give online, you can still get it postmarked by December 31st, but that's the way the IRS regs are, okay? Um, the second side of this is uh, you may be here thinking, you know what, it is a birthday party and I didn't get the birthday boy anything, you know? Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Every time you put something in that Salvation Army bell, you're you're really giving Jesus a birthday present. I don't know if you knew that or not. And and we really believe strongly in that. We gave away 10,000 pairs of shoes last month to the homeless people in Chicago. Yeah, it was awesome. I'm just bragging. I'm just bragging. We, we gave away 600 meals to people who needed it for Thanksgiving. We're giving away hundreds of presents. To, oh, stop clapping. We gave away hundreds of presents to people who, to, to prisoners' kids and, and people in need, single moms' kids. We support a thousand kids over in Africa. We, we do, we do all kinds of mission work. We give back what comes in. All that's really, really important to us. And that's a value here. So in front of you is a Christmas offering envelope. Maybe you're like, oh, you know what, I would like to give someone, I would like to give something to Jesus, something to help somebody. Anything that you put in that envelope, anything you put in the general offering basket is going to go to our offering, but anything you put in the Christmas offering envelope is going to go to our benevolence fund, which will go directly to people who might not be able to pay their gas bill or can't put food on the table, okay? So that's what we're going to do right now, and uh, we're going to pass the offering, and then while they pass the offering, let me just tell you about a couple of things that I think might be of note to you uh, coming up. And um if that was too fast for you and you still want to do something there, are envelopes outside, you could still give it that Christmas offering. A couple things happening. Okay, as I said, no services tomorrow, no services Sunday. Uh that's a little bit different than we would normally do. Um normally we have services every weekend, but because of this, we're just gonna do that, okay? No services. Next weekend, January first, we're only gonna have one Saturday night service instead of two. Okay, only the four o'clock, not the five forty-five. The next weekend. If you thought it was crazy trying to get in here today, we are going to have Josh Hamilton here, who is going to be uh, doing an interview format with me. He and his wife and myself will be up on stage, and we'll be talking about Josh's testimony. This is the ESPN cover, uh, the magazine cover of ESPN magazine. Josh Hamilton was the American League MVP this year, plays for the Texas Rangers. Uh, priorities on his tattoo on his arm, God, humility family, sobriety and baseball in that order. Why? Because he got hooked on drugs, got kicked out of baseball and uh, his wife loved him and his wife and his grandma loved him back to Jesus, got him back on the right track and he's got a phenomenal testimony and his wife has a phenomenal testimony as well. So you're going to want to be here for that. All four of our services that weekend and it's going to be crazy, but um, we're doing what we can. Um, So I knew we wouldn't be done yet, and I thought, you know, you just need one. I want to tell this Christmas story in as many ways as we possibly can. You know, the digital thing and the monks and Trans-Siberia. We just want a full multi-sensory experience. So I thought while they're finishing up the offering, the one last thing I could give you is a girl who's just had her wisdom teeth out, and she's under the influence of general anesthesia. And she's going to tell you the Christmas story, which is really a bad rap, Christian rap song that she does while she's completely out of it. Let me just let you watch The Unicorn Girl. She's amazing.
1: Who's in the house? J.C., tell me who's in the house. J.C., he's born with a and every virgin, isn't He's and he's just out on the cross to sit and he's taking oh. take him high. You him low. You take JC wherever you go. Now tell me who. 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 who? Tell me who's in the house? JC. Tell me who's in the house? JC. Jesus Christ is in the house today. You okay? Are you okay? <laughs>
0: That is funny every time. I'm telling you, you gotta go on YouTube and watch the whole thing. It's amazing. My challenge at Christmas time is to bring the old story to light in a new way, and I promise I'm not gonna rap uh, like that. But 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 the problem is times change, and we all realize that, right? Times have changed. Some of you have been listening to this Christmas story since Ronald Reagan sold cigarettes. Did you know he used to do that? Amazing, isn't it? I mean, i got some old ads here. I just want to show you how times change. This is when doctors used to recommend camel cigarettes over any other. Amazing, huh? How about your baby drinking 7-Up? I mean, is that a good idea? Like they don't have enough gas already? And if you've been eating too much at the holidays, forget the gym. How about sanitized tapeworms? There's an idea whose time has come back, don't you think? Women, you should be really glad that times have changed. Because back in the day... Del Monte said, you mean a woman can
1: open it? Ooh.
0: How about anybody wearing a Van Heusen tie? Show her it's a man's world. I mean, where are the good old days, guys? Huh? What happened? What happened? Times have changed, and I show you that for a reason, because the truth of the matter is we hear this story, you know, this Christmas story, this manger scene, and this Christmas thing, and we got Bethlehem and Nazareth and Jerusalem, and we roll that all up into Santa Claus and the North Pole and all these things, and we're like, you know what, times have changed. It's the 21st century. I'm not sure this stuff even really applies to me anymore. That's what tends to happen. I run into that a lot. The time—the Times have changed, but the places haven't. I got to go to the Holy Land last month. First time I've ever been to Israel. um, And it was incredible. My wife and I got to be there. Uh, Times have changed there as well. Um, They they have McDonald's, but they're a kosher McDonald's over there. Um, Or not. There it is. Kosher McDonald's over there. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's very different being in a different place, but the places are exactly the same. Being in Bethlehem and Jerusalem and Nazareth was incredible for us. And I saved Nazareth for Christmas Eve because I felt like this is the one we could probably most of us all relate to the most. Okay. Nazareth, in case you don't know this story very well, Nazareth was the place where Joseph and Mary were from. Okay. I'm going to show you a video from the Church of the Annunciation where the angel showed up uh, at Mary's house and said, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. It's where Jesus grew up, too. But there was a lot of detours in between, and that's mostly what I'm going to talk about today, the detours along the way. But, but Nazareth is a good illustration all by itself because Nazareth was a nowhere town. Nazareth was a Rodney Dangerfield of the first century, okay? No respect. The Old Testament doesn't mention Nazareth once. When the, when Jesus is calling the disciples, Philip decides to follow Jesus and he talks to his friend Nathaniel and he says, Hey Nathaniel, you ought to follow, you ought to come with us. I think we found the Messiah. He is Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's reaction was, Nazareth? Can, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Nazareth is not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in many of the other things that uh, uh, the Jewish historians read because it was like this little insignificant place in, in the shadow of Jerusalem, in the shadow of Rome, in the shadow of all the other big grand places of its day. Just a tiny little village. Maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you've walked into this Christmas service and you're like, oh, you know what, I, I just don't know where I belong. I don't know where I fit. I feel tiny, insignificant. Let me take you back to Nazareth and let's, let's learn some lessons from Nazareth.
1: This is the the Hippodrome, this is a place where they would have the chariot races, then of course after the chariot races, they would have to go to the bathroom. And so this is one of the ladies' bathrooms, I just wanted to show you ladies this. Uh, You just sat right there, cheek to cheek, so quick griping about our bathrooms. I'm here at the ruins of Nazareth, um, underneath the Church of the Annunciation. probably somewhere along the way in here is where mary and joseph were from um the church of the annunciation is of course the church uh that symbolizes the place it's actually over what they thought was mary's home and symbolizes the place where mary or uh, the angel came to mary and said uh, you're going to have a child so um it's pretty special to be in nazareth when i think about nazareth the you know the couple things stand out uh the you know the phrase when jesus came from nazareth someone said Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, I mean, that was kind of like Nazareth was this little small town. It was this little, probably a dozen homes and a few buildings in this little place. In the shadow of the Herodium where Herod was from, in the shadow of Jerusalem, in the shadow of all these other big places, there's this little town, Nazareth, where, where Jesus' heritage came from. Now, they had to go to Bethlehem, which is a long way away from here. That's the second thing about Nazareth that's interesting to me. God took them from Nazareth. Through a Roman decree, he took them from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem, long, long way, 75-mile journey, so that they could go to the city of David. He's born there while nobody's paying any attention in Jerusalem, uh, while Herod's over in his palace, while everybody's trying to do their own thing. All this insignificant stuff is going on. But they had to not only go to Bethlehem, then Herod, crazy Herod started killing babies, and the angel told them to go to Egypt, which is way over the other direction. I'll show you this on a map. And and then from Egypt, finally, they're able to come all the way back to to Nazareth. So as I think about the Christmas story, one of the important things that stands out uh, to me is the fact that that sometimes we feel like when God asks us to do something that it ought to all work out the way that we think. And instead what usually happens is God takes us on a detour, works things all the way around before, before he gets us back to the place where he wanted us to be in the first place.
0: See, whether you're insignificant or not, whether you're from Nazareth or Jerusalem or Rome, whether you're feeling important today or not, everybody has plans. I think that's the thing that really stuck out to me about being in Nazareth, was that they had plans. I mean, if you think about the first Christmas story, you understand that Mary and Joseph had plans, right? According to the custom of the day, they were engaged, okay? So they had plans. According to the custom of the day, what Joseph would do was he would go, he would ask her to marry him, and they would get engaged, and then he would go build a room on as an addition onto his father's house. That's how they did it. They didn't go build their own house. They added an addition onto his father's house. And he would go build that, and then when that was done, six months later, whatever, then they would have the wedding, and they would they would consummate the wedding and smash in the glass and do all that stuff. And And they had plans, I'm just telling you. I know they had plans. They were going to grow up, have 2.5 kids, you know, work 30 years, retire to the Dead Sea, play shuffleboard. Just like everybody else, they had plans in their life. They had their little fidelity green trail laid out in front of them. I don't care how insignificant you are, you've got plans. And I want to tell you something, you don't mess with wedding plans. I know this now. This is the first year I've ever had an engaged daughter at Christmas, and it's bringing a whole new perspective to me. If you've heard about the royal wedding, it's actually happening here, May 27th. And my daughter... Princess Rachel will be marrying Prince Ash, who is actually from England, and they'll be having the royal wedding here on May 27th. Okay, there they are right there. Forget about all that nonsense over there. The royal wedding's here. And I I, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. You don't mess with wedding plans. I mean, we had a little snafu with the, with the reception venue a couple of weeks ago, and I thought the world was gonna end. We've already got, I mean, it's five months away. We got the dress, we got the dresses, we got the catering, we got everything all figured out. I mean, the whole thing's planned out. And that's what happens when you're engaged, isn't it? You have plans. Mary and Joseph, they, they had plans. I now try to put myself in a different place. I used to try to put myself in Joseph's place in the Christmas story. Now I put myself In the place of Joseph and Mary's parents. Because that's really more realistic. Can you imagine Mary going to her mother and saying, Mom, you know, the wedding we had all planned? Well, slight change. We're pregnant. Well, I'm pregnant. And we're going to have to go to Bethlehem. And that wedding is not going to happen. And and it's amazing. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, And her name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary's initial reaction was greatly troubled, say greatly troubled with me, greatly troubled. Here's why I'm thinking this is important, because you may be greatly troubled this Christmas. I just keep having more and more conversations with people whose lives are greatly troubled, that that their life is going in a new direction, that their fidelity path has gotten messed up and their green thing is going all over the place and they're freaking out. They're greatly troubled. Let me help you to understand something about divine detours today. Okay. Okay. Divine, I don't know, I don't know how you tell. Sometimes we mess up our own plans. Sometimes other people mess up our plans. But sometimes God takes us on divine detours. Jesus' birth was one gigantic detour for everyone. It was a detour for Herod because he wanted to be king, and there was some other king coming along. It was a detour for the shepherds because they were supposed to be sh- watching their sheep, but they had to go to Bethlehem. It was a detour for the religious leaders because they were looking for a king who was going to come in and rule Messiah, not a guy who was going to say, love your neighbor as yourself and turn the other cheek. It was, it was a detour for the innkeeper who ran out of space like us and had to put people in the underground. I mean, that was the same thing. It was, it was a, it was a It was a detour for the wise men. I mean, come on. We don't know how far they came. And it was a detour for Mary and Joseph. Maybe you have some of those same detours this Christmas. I mean, I put them into little categories. Just think about Mary and Joseph and think about you. Kids would be a category, okay? Kids messing with you, okay? You can take that however you want. Maybe it was an unexpected kid. Maybe it was kids that are unexpected people. You know, they have needs and personalities different than you thought. Maybe it's pain, not from a donkey ride or from labor, but you're really in physical pain this Christmas, and it's a detour. Maybe it's pressure, not from Caesar, but from the IRS or from gas prices or from bankruptcy or or from an, a, a, an aging parent or an adult, adult child moving in. Maybe it's pressure. Maybe it's feeling ignored like they did going to the barn, but for you, it's just feeling like there's no place for you, like you don't fit in and you're lonely this Christmas. Maybe it's literally a move. Not with a donkey, but a U-Haul. You know, maybe that's literally the detour that you're on right now. You know what? That's Christmas, friends, and we know that. We get this trip to Bethlehem. We've been talking about it for years, ever since Reagan was selling cigarettes. We've been talking about this detour to Bethlehem. What I don't think we remember is that that's not the end of the detour for them. After they went 75 miles to Bethlehem, they had to go another 250 miles to Egypt. Do you realize that Jesus grew up watching Thomas to train in Egyptian? I mean, have you thought about this? Because usually we, like, we get to the wise men and then Christmas is over and we put it up. And that's not what happened to Mary and Joseph. When they'd gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up and said... Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Interesting. Let me show you on a map. And Nazareth is way up at the top over by the Mediterranean Sea. Jerusalem and Bethlehem are down here by the other sea. And then you come down. All the way down there is Egypt. What is that? that? That is one gigantic divine detour. What can I tell you about God's divine detours? Well, number one, I can tell you they're almost always harder than you would have picked yourself. Is this good news this Christmas Eve? No, it's really not. But divine detours, I mean, think about Abraham, right? Moses, David, uh, Joseph. Peter, Paul, John. I mean, think about the people that God called. Did their life usually get better right away, or did it get harder right away? It usually got harder. Yeah, I had a guy come up to me last weekend and said, hey, you know what, Tim? If we ever decide to plant a campus in Hawaii, I'm in. I'm like, well, that's not, the, I mean, that's not the call of God. If we plant a campus in Hawaii, I'm in. You're getting a video over here. The call of God is usually harder, right? God's detour equals greatly Trouble. Matthew 118. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married, but before they came together, she was found to be with child. I love this phrasing. Was, but. You understand this, right? Was and but in the same sentence means detour. Right? If and, and if was is, is a bad thing, that's okay. Because then the but is probably a good thing, right? I was going to give up on the Bears after the Patriots game, but they're the NFC champions. Hallelujah. I don't know how they did it, but hallelujah, right? Was and but. If was is bad, the but is good. So if the was is good, like she was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, then the but is almost usually harder. We could make a bumper sticker. But happens, you know. Because that's the truth. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes it when things don't turn out the way that they wanted to, when the fairy tale doesn't end up like you had it all planned. You know, eventually Cinderella's at the bar wondering what happened to her prince eventually snow white is sitting there with 15 kids and the prince is sitting there watching TV Because that's the reality that's the was and the but and I think that we try to romanticize Christmas so much you know I mean we got the the cattle are lowing I mean are you getting that the cattle are lowing in the delivery room it's not a good thing I mean you don't mess with an engaged woman's plans you certainly don't mess with a pregnant woman's plans am I right and I get a hallelujah from you, gentlemen. Yeah, you don't mess with that. Where is she? She's in a stable. She's in a barn. You know what? I, I'm just trying to help you to understand the detours stink. When I wrote that phrase when I was working on it, I thought, you know, literally, literally. What do we do this time of year? We have Christmas and we light candles, right? I have like 15 candles going every time I walk in my house. Walk in one room and it smells like vanilla and another room smells like apples and cinnamon. I believe that I believe that candles are the leading cause of weight gain at the holidays. (laughs) Because I walk in and smell pumpkin pie and go pumpkin pie. I want right. It's just a candle. I don't care. I need pie. uh, the, the, The truth of the matter is that very first Christmas, if we were being realistic, we would go to there is a new there's a new company called Mandels. They make Mandels. They're not candles. They're mandals. Because guys don't like candles. But guys, I'm telling you, go home and look this up. Mandals.com. They sell candles called auto shop. They have a candle called bass fishing. That's right. They have a candle called slab of bacon. That's what I want to smell when I walk into my house, don't you? And I think that's more realistic when it comes to Christmas, because the truth of the matter is, if, if, we, had, if we had a mandle for the first Christmas, it wouldn't be evergreen. It would be shepherd's sweat. It would be camel dung. It would be dirty donkey. That would be the smell, because that's the reality, okay? Detours stink. I'm just trying to help you understand. Thomas Holmes, famous psychologist, did a stress test. Many of you have taken it. He, he laid it out. He said, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if you move, it's like 35 points. If you get divorced, it's 50 points. If you change jobs, it's 25 points. And if, any, if you have a, a combination of these things, you add them up within a six-month period. If you've taken it, you know what I'm talking about. And if you have over 200 points, that means you're in danger of a nervous breakdown. Well, somebody did the stress test on behalf of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she would have scored a 400. She could have had two nervous breakdowns. Why? Because God took her on a detour. I mean, she didn't do it to herself. Nobody else did it. God took her on a detour, and it was stressful. 325 miles away. Why did they have to go to Egypt? Well, they had to go to Egypt... Because it was prophesied that out of Egypt I would call my son. You saw the scripture earlier. Why would that be important for a Jew? Because the Jews, remember the children of Israel, were called out of the land of Egypt. That was the whole Moses deal. You saw Charlton Heston, you get this. The whole Moses deal was they were called out of the land of Egypt. That's what Passover is all about. That's what all, all of the Jewish history, so much of it is all about, coming out of Egypt into the promised land. So God said, out of Egypt, I'm going to call my son. I could only imagine what it was like for the prophets and for the scholars as they're studying Old Testament Scripture and they're going, man, I don't know how this Messiah thing is going to work. The Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be called out of Egypt and he's going to be called a Nazarene. How is he going to be from Egypt and Bethlehem and Nazareth all at the same time? With a bunch of detours. That's how. Finally, in Matthew 2.20, they get to go home. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up and he took the child and his mother and he went back to Nazareth. Finally back home. We don't know how old Jesus was. It's literally been years since they've been home. They've been on divine detours that long. Do you think they liked it? I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, personally, I never like it when God takes me on a detour. I always want, I don't know about you, but I always, want to, I always want God to do things my way. Is that just my problem? I always think that I got it all figured out. I got my green path, and I want God to do it my way. I'm kind of like this kid with Santa. I love this picture. Dear Santa, bring me what I want for Christmas, or prancer and dancer, or next. <laughs> That's funny right there. I don't care. That's funny. That's what I do with God, though, you know? I am like God... You, you don't understand. This is, this is not what I wanted. I did not want to go to Bethlehem. I did not want to go to Egypt. I did not want all this trouble. I did not want all this pain. And here's what I've, I've found out every time I've been on a divine detour. It's that not only are divine detours harder, but they're also always better. You want to have a conversation with Mary and Joseph right now and ask them if they're glad they went to Bethlehem and Egypt? And they'll say, Absolutely. Not during, probably, but absolutely. Why? Because Jeremiah Jeremiah 29 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you. They're plans to give you hope and a future. I've got plans. The problem is my plans are not your plans. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And you're never going to figure all this out until it's all over. People often ask me, Tim, did you see this Parkview thing coming? Did you ever in your mind, when you went into ministry... In 1983, did you ever think that you would preach at a church that was this? And I always answer yes and no. Because if the question is, did I ever see a church where everybody was welcome and you didn't have to dress a certain way or be a certain way or act a certain way and everybody, even the spiritually sick people, were welcome at at Jesus' feet, a- absolutely, I saw that that was the vision did i Did I see a place where marriages could be healed and, and lives could be saved and people could be brought back into a relationship with God a hundred percent I saw that I didn't know it looked like this, but I saw that. If you ask me, did you ever see a place where you would do a Trans-Siberian Orchestra prelude for Christmas like you just did, which is really honestly one of the proudest moments of my life. It, did, if you ever asked me that, the answer would still be, yes, I did. And I'll tell you a little side story on that. When I was growing up, when I was in high school, there was this band called the Doobie Brothers. Amen. Can I get an amen? And, and for some reason, the Doobie, the Doobie Brothers were smoking something weird one day, and they wrote this song called, Jesus is just all right with me. I vividly remember the first time I heard the Doobie brothers singing, Jesus is just all right with me. And that next weekend I went to my church and there was this crummy organ and piano thing going on. And I thought to myself, man, if I could ever be at a church that could play the Doobie brothers, then maybe my friends would actually come to that church and find out that Jesus is just all right with them. So if you ask me, you know, did I see that? And is this a part of the plan? Absolutely, that was a part of the plan. But if you want to say, did you ever see a place where 10 or 11,000 people would come to six very crowded services on Christmas Eve and nine different services in two locations? There's no way I could have seen that. That, was, that wasn't even happening in 1983. That's immeasurably more than all I could ask or imagine because that's what God does. However, if you would have told me back in 1983 the pain that it was going to take and the spiritual warfare and the hard work and the people who were going to resist the vision, and you could show me what I was going to have to deal with to get to this place, I'm I'm honestly not sure I would have signed up for the journey. And if you would have asked Mary and Joseph, if you would have showed them Bethlehem and Jerusalem and the stable and all of those other things, I don't know if they would have signed up for the journey. The truth of the matter is we can't figure all this stuff out until the end. That's the beautiful thing about trusting God. All right? So let's just say that uh, you're very, very fortunate, and I'm going to bake you a cake. And I say very fortunate because... I've never ever baked anybody a cake before, so that would be very special. How would I go about baking you a cake? Well, it would take eggs, right? I would I would start with some eggs because that's important. But if I were to stop right here and say, "Hey, would you like an egg?" you'd say, mm, "No, that's for Rocky. I don't I don't do raw eggs. That's salmonella, right?" If I were to say, "Hey, I need baking soda in my cake. Do you want some baking soda?" you'd say, "No, thanks." And this is how I cook, by the way. If you, I were to say, you know, "Hey, you want some flour? How about that? We'll put some flour." You want to eat some flour raw? No, you don't want to do that. Do you want some sugar raw? Well, probably not. That would taste pretty nasty. How about some oil, some vegetable oil? You want a swig of this? No, you don't. But if I put this all together and I stir it up and I put it in the oven, I bake it. What do I end up with? I end up with a cake. I end up with the cake that I get to eat and you don't. <laughs> and it's really good. What am I saying? What I'm saying is, at some point in your life, you may get to the point where you actually see the cake. Or maybe you're not going to get a chance to see the cake until it's all over. Until we get to heaven on the other side. But one way or another, when God puts the ingredients together and he hands them to you one at a time, you're not going to like them. It's not until he puts the whole thing together that it's going to make sense. It was not until Acts chapter 114 when it made sense for Mary. We know that Mary was at the cross because Jesus talked to her and John while they were at the cross and that had to have been the the worst detour that she possibly took. But we also know that Mary was at the resurrection and that Mary was at his ascension because right at the ascension in Acts chapter 1, 14, Jesus, I mean, imagine, imagine what it's like. Jesus is at, at the, he's ascending up into heaven, he's going up into heaven and you're Mary. I mean, that's the cake part, right? And it says, it says in Acts chapter 114, they all join together in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Finally, after 33 years, she finally gets to see the cake come together. And she was so happy. I'm sure there were some moments along the way. I'm not saying that following God is going to always be hard. There were times when Mary and Joseph got to ride their donkey through town and, uh, you know, show off a little bit. Our son is God. I mean, deal with that, right? You know, I don't care about your honor student. Our son is God. Along the way, there were little moments where they realized that they were following the plan of God and that this was what was supposed to happen. But they didn't get to see that along the journey. And that just may be where you're at today. So what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do with the detour? Well, we gave you a card on the way in. It's got all our stuff on it uh, about the upcoming services. It's also got some little tear-off detours. Uh, it, it may be a little hard to write on because it's glossy. It's glossy uh, It's glossy material, glossy paper, and it's a little hard to write on. So I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to scribble on this a little bit. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to write on here your 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 raw egg, okay? I want you to write your raw egg thing. What is the thing that's going on in your life right now? And you're like, God, I don't like the way this is going in my life. I'm not happy about this. This is a detour that I do not understand, and it tastes like flour. It tastes like baking soda, and I'm not seeing any cake. I would like for you to write it down on here, or just a piece of paper at all. Write it down on here, and on your way out, there's, there are gift boxes at every door, at every exit on the way out. On the way out, put them in those gift boxes, because here's what I want to assure you that we will do. Somebody will pray for you. Somebody from our prayer team, from our staff, from our elders, somebody is going to pray for whatever you write down. You can put your name or don't put your name, we don't care. Put down what it is that you need prayed for. What is the thing that tastes nasty to you right now? What is the detour? What is the trip to Egypt, the trip to Bethlehem? What is it that's going on? Because we want to pray for it. Because we believe that your response could be the same response as Mary's, which is trust, which is faith. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said That's got to be our response, whether we understand it or not, whether we get the detours or not. Our response should be that of Mary's. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me, as you have said. Martin Luther said there were three Christmas miracles that first Christmas that God became man, that the virgin conceived and that Mary believed. C.S. Lewis said the whole cosmic salvation plan for the universe comes down to the response of one unwed teenage Jewish girl. What if she would have said no? Well, she didn't. In spite of the cost, she said yes, and God changed the whole world through her. Because she had faith, because she had trust in the middle of the detours. So where do you need to pray Mary's Prayer this Christmas? Is it a decision that you got going on? Is it a family situation, a career shift, a move? You're single you don't want to be. There's an illness. What is it? Write down your detour on here. Because it may not be your first choice, but God is going to work through it. He knows the plans He has for you, and there are plans to prosper you. And all the things that are going on in your life can come together and will come together for good for those who love Him. I want for us to read uh, Mary's prayer, the Magnificat. Many of you grew up reading that at Christmas time in unison at your churches, and some of that stuff I really, really like. So I'm going to put it on the screen and let, help you with it. This is Mary's full prayer. After she says, I'm the Lord's servant, I will do as you, my life is yours, I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do, here's her full prayer, and it's beautiful. Let's read it out loud together. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He is the God of detours, not just to Mary and Joseph, but to us. He made a promise. And that should comfort us because the message of the angels was glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Peace. How can you have peace in the middle of the detours? Because 33 years later, Jesus said, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. I do not give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I can give you a peace that surpasses the world's understanding. The world only has peace when all of their circumstances work out. But I can give you peace in the middle of when your circumstances don't work out. Because no one has ever seen, heard, or even imagined The wonderful things that God has ready for those who love Him. I couldn't imagine this. Mary couldn't imagine watching Jesus ascending up into heaven. And you can't imagine the cake that God is trying to make with you. Somehow in the middle of those those detours, however, they had a silent holy night. Not because of the situation, but because of the one who runs the situation. Somebody sent me this picture of a nativity scene. There was a church that had a nativity scene, and, and this is a stray dog. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? Somebody snapped this picture of a stray dog, didn't have any place to sleep, and somehow was smart enough to crawl up in the manger and sleep with baby Jesus. Could that just be your image? Just burn that into your mind. I want that to be your Christmas image. For the rest of this season, wherever you go, whatever things are going on, whatever chaos is going all around you, if you feel like a stray, you feel like an outcast, you feel like a Nazareth, you feel like you feel like a Mary and Joseph and you're on a bunch of detours that you don't understand, remember, peace to you on whom His favor rests. Frederick Beekner writes, those who believe in God can never in a way be sure of him again. Once they have seen him in a stable, they can never be sure where he will appear or to what lengths he will go or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of man. Can never be sure if the holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were present in this least auspicious of all events, the birth of a peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound but that the holiness can be present there too. And this means that we are never safe. That there is no place where we can hide from God, no place where we are safe from his power to break into and recreate the human heart, because it is just where he seems most helpless that he is most strong and just where we may least expect him that he comes most fully. The ludicrous steps that God would come all the way from heaven down to that proves that there's no way you're too far away from God. That there's nowhere you can go to hide from God. That God won. I believe God knew thousands of years ago that on December 24, 2010, you would be here in this place. And He wanted you here. And He might have even put a couple of detours in your place so that you could be right here. Because He wants to demonstrate how much He loves you. And that's how He did it. We're going to take communion Together right now. We do it around here every week as a church. And, and we welcome you if you're a believer. You don't have to be a part of Parkview. We welcome you to do it as well. Communion is the part where we commemorate what Jesus did when he grew up. He came to ludicrous depths and became a peasant's baby. And then he grew up and he died on the cross so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He went to the cross so that he could die for our sins. So that I don't have to save myself. So that I don't have to be perfect. And holy. He will save me. In spite of the times. When I'm not. We give you an opportunity to commune with us. Let's pray together. Lord God I just want to pray that you'll be with us right now as we commune. And I thank you for the opportunity to. To be here at Christmas Eve. And I. I thank you for the thousands of people that are gathering together right now in, in unison with our spirits in your spirit getting ready to celebrate communion there may be people here lord who have uh, not celebrated the eucharist with you for a really long time they just walked in here and they didn't know what to expect but you did and, and you're calling them right now and i pray that you'll help them to remember their faith to remember what it was that drew them to you a long long time ago and to know that you are god and that you want to bring them peace in the middle of their storms. There may be people here, Lord, who have never accepted you. They've never turned their hearts to you. They don't even know what I'm talking about. Lord, I, I hope that, that right now that they will open up their hearts and say, Okay, Jesus, it's, it's not just a story. It's a real place. It's a real happening And I really do believe in you, Jesus. I really do believe this story is too crazy for somebody to make up. That the almighty creator of the universe would come down as a tiny little baby. If you love me that much, then I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I give myself to you. I do believe so that I can not perish but have everlasting life. So that I can have abundant life. So that I can know that there's going to be cake at the end of this detour somewhere, sometime. Lord, I just pray that You'd be with us as we commune with You right now. Thank You for the cries of little baby Jesus over there, because it just reminds us how real it really was. Lord, we know that You're here in the middle of that reality, in the middle of our reality. And we love You and we worship You in Jesus' name. Amen.